living God. We praise you this morning and give all glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek, and have a seat. It is good to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us, and uh, we would love to just let you know how much we appreciate your visit by giving you a free gift today. So before you head home, please stop by our table right out there in the hallway. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands. There's also a little welcome card right there on the table if you wouldn't mind filling that out. Those come back to me, and it just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visits. We really do appreciate you being here. Uh, in church, we're going we're gonna to continue on in our series. We've been walking through verse by verse through the book of Philippians uh, since August. We started all the way back in middle of August, and, and here we are. We're still only in chapter 2, and it's almost the end of the year. So this is fun. Uh, so we're going to, as you can see there, we're going to walk through verses 14 through 18 Today, if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verses right here on the screen behind me. But also on that table in the hallway, we have Bibles on there. We would love for you to take that home as our gift to you. Um, those are, are for you. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, please grab that. Uh, before we get started in that, though, I want to just share a couple of announcements that we have going on. Uh, one, we, we let you know last week we're going to have a, a special service on Christmas Eve. We, we do a Christmas Eve service every year, and this year it just happens to fall on a Sunday morning, which is really cool. So we're going to still gather on Sunday. We're going to gather at 10 a.m., but instead of a, a normal service, we are going to do a special Christmas Eve service where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the whole reason why we have Christmas, what this whole time is all about. It's all about Jesus. So we're going to celebrate and worship Jesus on that morning. So we'd love for you to be here Christmas Eve, that Sunday morning, 10 a.m. It's also a great opportunity to invite people in your life that may not have a church home. People are, are typically more open to coming to church on a Christmas Eve than, than any other time throughout the year. So this is a great opportunity for us. And then also members of Haynes Creek, uh, make sure uh, last week we let you know during our, our initial budget uh, meeting last week that we're going to have another meeting on the 17th to continue discussing and answering questions about our 2024 proposed budget. And Lord willing, next week we will also vote on that budget. So members of Haynes Creek, make sure you're here for that next Sunday. Uh, that'll be fun time, right? Everybody loves talking about money and finances, so that'll be, that'll be great. But uh, members of Haynes Creek, make sure you're here for that next Sunday. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Um, if you guys would be praying for me and our family, my wife is home with uh, two out of our three kids are, are sick, and we also still have our, uh, our newborn foster baby with us. So be praying for my wife and our kids, and uh, be praying for me this morning because uh, sleep has been infrequent at best this week. So uh, let me pray for us, and we will we'll jump in. Jesus, Thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people gather together in worship of you, Jesus. So we pray over this time, Lord, let, let all that we say and do be honoring and glorifying to your name. Lord, I pray over this time as we open up your word, Jesus, would you, would you teach us? Would you open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear from you, Lord? We don't need to hear from me. We don't need Travis's ideas, Lord. We, we want to hear from you in your spirit, Jesus. So would you teach us? Would you, would you guide us? Would you mold us and shape us? Would you help us grow in our faith and our love and our knowledge of you as a result of your word today? And it's all these, uh, we ask all this in your powerful name. Amen. Okay. 
So like I said, we're going to be jumping back in where we left off last week, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14 today, and just kind of recap for those that may not have been here last week or, or may have already forgotten, I totally understand that, but last week we looked at verses 12 through 13, and we, we kind of said that starting in, in verse 12, Paul is starting to conclude this section in Philippians. So this, this section stretches all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27, and goes until chapter 2, verse 18, which we'll end today on. Um, and it, it really what people will tell you is this is kind of the, the center of Philippians. This is kind of the, the main part of Paul's message. So chapter 1 is a lot about Paul just kind of doing his introductory comments and kind of giving a life update. And then he'll kind of continue some of those thoughts in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But, but chapter 2... The end of chapter two, or the end of chapter one, and, and most of chapter two is really where Paul kind of gives out a lot of his uh, typical things that we see from Paul, right? These commands that he gives, these these calls for us to live and follow and and, and live like Jesus, and all that kind of stuff. We find that in this section. So starting in verse twelve last week, we see it starts out with the therefore, right? And we said, okay, well that, that's Paul about to draw some conclusions based on what he said previously, right? When we look back at those previous verses, we see Paul saying things like, hey, live a life worthy of the gospel, right? Contend for the faith of the gospel. Uh, live together in, in harmony with one another, in unity with one another. Be, be humble and, and look to not only to, to serve you, but, but look to serve other people, right? Don't, don't live for your own selfish desires and ambitions, but, but look to the needs of others and serve one another. And then we have this, this long discussion about Jesus and all of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, and the, that we would have the, the mind and the attitude and the, the mindset and the outlook of Jesus. So he says all of these things, and, he says, and then he says, therefore, okay, based on that, here's what that looks like, right? Here's how we actually do those things. And in verses 12 through 13, we saw that part of how we do that, what we said the language that we use is, is we are to live a life of continuous, grace-driven obedience, right? That we are, as believers, as followers of Jesus, those of us who claim the name of Christ, our lives are to be marked by obedience to Jesus and his word, to continually and always living out faithfulness to what he calls us to in his word, right? So that, that's part of it. And then we also see in verse 13 that we don't do that on our own, right? Like, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus doesn't save us and then say, all right, good luck with life, Call me if you need me, and I might be busy, right? Like, no, that's not it. He says that, that he is the one who is working in us. He works in our hearts and our lives to make us more like him. He's the one that does the work, right? So we are to rely on him and his strength and his, his power in our lives. So that's verses 12 through 13, and he's going to continue those same kind of thoughts here in verses 14 through 18 as he kind of concludes this section. So let me read that for us, and we'll, we'll jump into what we have today. So Starting in verse 14, he says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, so uh, it kind of, as we read that, you, maybe you're kind of picking up on this, like it kind of seems like Paul's just throwing out a bunch of stuff, right? He kind of seems to be all over the place. He's talking about grumbling and arguing, and then he's talking about, you know, stars and what's up with that and, and the word of life and rejoicing, like what's going on? It seems like he's just dumping a lot of thoughts here. 
in these verses. But, but they are, it, it kind of seems like he's all over the place, but, it, but it's, all, it's all connected. And what he's doing here is he's, he's giving us direct implications for what it means to work out our own salvation, right? To live that obedient life that we saw last week. Here are some direct implications of what that should look like. So these are not just kind of disconnected thoughts. These are not kind of, you know, minor issues like, oh, well, if you, if you have time, consider these things, or, you know, if you do this, great. If not, no big deal, right? No, like, these are direct implications of walking in obedience to Jesus. So what Paul would say is what he's listing out here in verses 14 through 18, if we are not doing that, if we are not following Jesus in these areas, then we cannot claim to be walking in obedience to him right? Like, these things are all connected. So, that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's continuing to give us how to follow Jesus, how to walk with Him, how to live for Him in this world that we find ourselves. So, we're going to just kind of walk through these thought by thought, verse by verse. Paul, in this passage, gives us five things to consider, right? So, five things. If you're taking notes, we're going to walk through these five big ideas from Paul here. So, if you're taking notes, number one, number one, he says, the first thing, do not grumble or argue, do not grumble or argue. Look again at verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So, do everything. And that, that everything means everything, right? It means everything. And, and do everything, that's written as a command. Paul is commanding us to do everything without grumbling and arguing. So, so doing everything, every aspect of our lives from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, right? Where you, when you go to work, when you go out into your community, when you're running errands, when you're dealing with your spouse, when you're dealing with your kids, like everything that you do, literally everything, every moment of your day is to be lived out without grumbling and arguing. So let's, let's talk about what, what he means when he says that. That, that word grumbling could also be translated muttering or murmuring or complaining. And it kind of points to this idea that it's not always necessarily out in the open, but it kind of also gives this picture of like, like secret complaining, kind of like just making comments under your breath that only you and your heart knows about, or, or just straight up gossiping behind people's backs. Like that's kind of the, the word picture here, is that when he says don't grumble, what he's saying there is don't complain, don't gossip, don't talk about people behind their backs. Stop doing that, right? Like that's, that's, what, that's what that word grumble means. Now what, is, what does arguing mean? Well, arguing, that word means to, to just like what it says. It means to argue. It means to dispute or debate with others. But it also carries this idea of a, of a critical spirit and heart like an unnecessary critical spirit and heart. That's what it's getting to. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that kind of points to a heart of, uh, of, that just questions everything, that just questions everything, that always looks for something to be wrong, that always looks for the, the negative in whatever's going on, right? You could be the most positive person presenting the most positive thing in the world, and this person with a arguing spirit is going to go, well, no, no, don't like that. Here's what's wrong with that. Here's why that's bad. And just, here's how that could go wrong. And it's just like, okay, man, you just like put a wet blanket on everything. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. That's the spirit that, that he's getting to here. That's what he's talking about when he says, don't argue. It's, it's, it's creating controversy where there is none. It's just kind of like stirring the pot. Like, I'm just going to stir the pot. I'm going to lob this grenade out in this conversation and just blow everything up. That's, that's what he means when he talks about arguing here, Okay. Now, what's, what's important for us to recognize a couple of things that, that's going on here. One, when he says, do not grumble or argue, one of the things Paul is doing here is he's pointing back to the nation of Israel. He's pointing back to the nation of Israel because when we study the history of Israel in the Old Testament, one of the things we constantly see 
is this kind of spirit. It's this kind of attitude. It's a, it's a grumbling. It's a complaining. It's an arguing towards God and those that he appoints as leaders. And we see this especially with the, with the Exodus narrative. So um, it, I'm going to read a passage for us. I'm going to kind of just remind you, when we read the Old Testament, what we see is, is God sets the people free from, from Egypt, right? That's the whole uh, Pharaoh, let my people go, the ten plagues, that whole kind of thing, walking across the Red Sea on dry land. So that's, he does all that to bring them to the promised land, the land that he has promised to his people. And to get there, they kind of have to walk through this, this wilderness, right? Like this patch of nothing and nowhere, and there's not a lot of food, there's not a lot of water. It's not a pretty scenic drive, right? Like it's not an easy trip, it's not a, a, a beautiful route to go on, um, not a great road trip. So that's where we find ourselves when, when this happens. Numbers 14, verses 2 through 4 says this. All of the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or only if we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and our children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, so the other thing that's going on in this passage, in this section, is the Israelites have now been brought to the edge of the promised land, all right? They've made it through the wilderness. They're on the edge of the promised land, and they send out 12 spies to scout the area out. And they do that, and they come back, and 10 out of the 12 are like, y'all, we got no chance. We should head back. There's big, powerful nations, and they are going to destroy us. We will be dead if we enter the promised land. We shouldn't do it. And there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that are like, no, no, no. Th yes, that's true. There are big, powerful nations, but God has called us to this. So, so we should walk in obedience to him and trust him with the results, right? So there's this kind of battle and arguing. And, and ultimately, what Israel decides is, you know what? No, it's, it's too scary. It's too difficult. It's too much of a risk. It, it's too just, I can't do that. So let's, let's head. And their, their solution is to go back to Egypt. It's like, y'all, what, what are we doing? You, do, did you forget that you were once slaves in Egypt, crying out for years for God to set you free? He does that in a miraculous and amazing way. And because you get to the point where God is leading you, you're like, nope, don't like this. Not working out the way I thought. I'm not sure about this. It's too scary. It's too difficult. Whatever it is, now you're like, nope, want to go back. Let's go back to slavery. That's a great idea. So they're like, forget Moses, forget Aaron. We're going to find a new leader, and we're going back. It's like, what? What is happening here? How did we get to this point, right? So that's what's going on. And, and here's, here's God's judgment against the nation of Israel because, again, because of this complaining and arguing and murmuring, grumbling kind of attitude. You jump down to Numbers uh, 14, verses 26 to 30. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaint that they make against me. Tell them, as I live, this is the Lord's declaration. I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. All of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. So God makes this judgment on the nation of Israel that, that everybody, 20 years old and older, is not entering the promised land. And this is going to mark a period of the Israelites just wandering around in the wilderness for 38 years while this generation dies off. And what's the charge against them? 
complaining. This, this grumbling and arguing kind of attitude. That's their big sin. That's their big issue that God calls out and makes a point to say, y'all got to stop this. This is not how our, my people is, is supposed to live. And Paul carries that idea into the New Testament. And when he says here, do everything without grumbling or complaining, what he's saying here is, hey, don't live like the ancient Israelites. Don't follow their pattern in this. Don't live a life that is grumbling and complaining and arguing and critical for no reason. Don't live that way. That's not how God wants. And also, that's just, that's just miserable, right? Like that's, uh, you're, If you're around people that are just complaining about everything and grumble about everything and dissatisfied with everything, it's like, man, you're just kind of a, kind of a bummer, right? You're kind of a bummer to be around. Like That's miserable for you. It's miserable for the people in your life. And God's like, no, that's not how I want you to live, right? That's not what he wants for us. So that's what Paul is, is getting at here. Don't, don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't argue. Don't have a critical spirit just for the sake of having a critical spirit. And look, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all, we can all feel that sometimes, right? I mean, honestly, if I'm being truthful with you guys, I'm, I can be kind of bent towards that. Like my wife would tell you that if, if we're looking at a, at a glass half empty or half full, I'm going to tend towards the, the half empty mindset. And I'll call it, I'm just being realistic or whatever. But really, it's this kind of attitude. It's this grumbling or complaining. It, it's choosing to see the negative instead of the positive. It's choosing to see the difficult instead of what the Lord is doing. Like that's, that's the critical spirit that Paul's addressing here in our lives. So if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all say, man, there, there have been times in my life where I've grumbled, where I've murmured, where I've had uh, like a, a gossiping attitude where, you know, we, you know and, and look, we're, we're good church people. So like we're going to grumble and complain about that person. But as soon as we see them, we'll say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. How's the family? Oh, that's awesome. Praying for you. Love you. Let me know if you need anything. And they walk by where like, I cannot stand that person. Why are they here? I don't even like them. Surely none of us have ever done that, right? No, of course not. Of course not. Or we have a, you know, again, a critical spirit, just choosing to see the negative instead of the positive, instead of what, what God is up to and what he's trying to do. We're just going to poke holes in it. We're going to be critical. We're going to complain. We're going to argue. We're going to create and stir up controversy. Like, we, we all contend towards that. And the question is, if we're going to do everything without that attitude, we need to find out where that attitude comes from. We need to be asking ourselves, man, why, why am I thinking that way? Why is my heart bent towards that? Like, what, what's going on here? And, and I think there's, there's three big areas where this kind of attitude comes from. And one of, those, one of those is a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment. When we have a lack of contentment in our lives, when we choose not to find contentment in, in the Lord and what he's blessed us with, we're going to go searching for that fulfillment elsewhere. We're going to search for it in the things of this world. And, and the truth is, that may satisfy for a little bit, but it will always let us down. So if we have this lack of contentment, instead of finding contentment in the Lord and what he's blessed us with, then we're going to have an attitude that just sees the negative and just sees what's wrong and just sees what, what I don't have, right? Or what's going wrong with my life and how come that person, their lives are working out that way and I can't have that too, right? Like we're just going to have this complaining mindset because we're trying to find contentment in the things of this world rather than in Christ. So it's a lack of contentment. There's also a lack of gratitude. A lack of gratitude. Gratitude is a choice, y'all. And it's a choice that we need to make all the time. 
I, it's like a mirror sometimes being held up when you have kids, right? So like I see this attitude in my kids and I can condemn that in them and then right away I'm like, oh wait, no, I, I can see that too. Like because our children are just so focused on their world, right? And like if one thing is not working out or, or they don't have that one thing that they really want, well then it's like, my whole day's ruined. <laughs> my kids will say that. I'm like, how was your day? Like, oh, it was a terrible day. I'm like, well, tell me why it was terrible. And they just say one thing. This one thing was bad. Well, that sounds like a pretty good day to me. I'm like, nope, it was terrible, Dad. It was awful. Worst day ever. <sighs> how do we get there? You know, but how often do we have that attitude too, right? Like, it's this, it's this lack of gratitude. It's never being satisfied with what the Lord has given us. Always longing and searching for more. And it leads us to a lack of, of gratitude. And that, again, that, that springs up this complaining and this arguing, this critical spirit. There's also a, a big one, and this is what Paul's been talking about here in Philippians chapter 2, a lack of humility. A lack of humility. When we are filled with pride, and if there's any disagreement with what we think, right, if I'm filled with pride and I think I'm always right and you disagree with me, well, guess who's wrong? Not me, it's you. And now it becomes my job to convince you of how wrong you actually are. And that's where this, this arguing, this murmuring kind of mindset comes from. It's because I'm filled with pride. I think my way is what's best. So because you don't agree with me and want to do things my way, well, then you're wrong. And it's my goal and my job to help you see how wrong you are and come to my side. So it's a lack of humility. And again, this is what, pri- uh, this is what Paul has been talking about, why, we, why he's hammering hard the, this humility mindset, because it's so important for us as believers individually and us as a church. So I think these are some of the places where this attitude comes from. And, and let me just let me say this before we move on to the next point. We've got to remember the context here. Remember, Paul is talking to a local church. He's talking to a specific body of believers, the Philippian church. So just like we said last week, when, when Paul says, hey, work out your own salvation and, and God is working in you, those, those you's and, and your and all that stuff, it, it's plural because he's talking to a group of people. Our, our sanctification, our walking with Jesus is not just us as individuals. It is a communal aspect to it, right? We do this together as believers. We do this together as the church. So when he says, don't complain and argue, he's talking about it as a church. Your church should not be grumbling and and arguing. That should not be the spirit. That should not be the culture that we have inside the church. It should be the exact opposite, right? Like that's what Paul is talking about here. And the reason he's bringing it up is because there's a good chance that the Philippians were struggling with this. We know throughout this letter that, that this church is disunified in some areas, that there are some, some infighting and some arguing with its members. And Paul's calling it to, to a stop. He's saying, you gotta, you got to stop doing this. So just like the nation of Israel who was complaining and arguing with God and God's leaders, Moses and Aaron, most likely the Philippians are kind of doing the same thing. They're, they're arguing with God, they're compl- complaining to God, and they're complaining to you know, the, the pastor, elders, leaders, deacons in this local church. And Paul is calling them to stop that. That is not the attitude that we should have in the church. He's saying stop, stop arguing for no reason. Stop complaining about everything, right? Makes me wonder that maybe we should, every church should read these verses before we do a business meeting, but you know, that's another thought. I'll keep praying about that, but um, Here's, let me just say this too, because you know, this is where the emails and this is where the murmuring can get started. Here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean you can't ever ask a question, okay? This doesn't mean that you can't ever raise a concern. You absolutely should, okay? Because I've been in churches where if you did point out an opposing view, you were labeled as being negative and dissension and disunity and all that kind of stuff. That's not what this is saying. We're not saying that you can't ever ask a question. 
We can't, we, we're not saying that you can't ever raise a concern. We're not saying that you can't ever disagree. But what this, this passage is reminding us of is we need to check our hearts first. We need to check our hearts first. Where's that question coming from? Where's that point of disagreement or concern or whatever that we have? Is there actually concern or are you just creating controversy where there is none? Is there an actual question? Are you actually trying to accomplish the good of the church or just, you know, kind of get your way? Like we, need, we all need to be asking ourselves those questions. So it's not that we can't ever ask questions. It's not that we can't ever raise a concern. We should, and I encourage you to, and I want you to do that here. But we all need to be checking our hearts as we do that. So that's what Paul is getting at here. All right, let me move on to the next point before I get myself in trouble here. So number two, number two. Second thing he says is we are to shine like stars. Shine like stars. Let's look at verse 15. So he continues this, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. I mean, I, I love the language that Paul uses here. So why are we to work out our own salvation? Why are we to, uh, you know, to, to not grumble and complain? It's because the way that we live as believers, the way we, we interact with people inside and outside the church matters. It is a witness to the unbelieving world around us. And it's either a good witness or a bad witness, right? We're either pointing people to the truth and the love and the grace of Jesus, or we're showing, man, this dark side of hypocrisy that can plague the church at times. So Paul is calling us, look, you, you, you live this way, you follow Jesus, you live for him, you work out your own salvation, you don't do things with, with grumbling and arguing because the world is watching. And you have this incredible opportunity to, by the way you live and by the way you interact with people inside the church and outside, to point other people to Jesus. So he says here, he starts, so that, and that, that's a purpose statement. So he's giving us the reason for his command to not grumble and argue. He says the reason is so that you can be blameless and pure. Now those two words together kind of mean the same thing. It doesn't mean that we should be perfect, right? Like that, that's not what Paul's saying. It's like, well, you, you should be perfect and never have anything wrong. No, 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 that, that's not what that ver- those words mean. Blameless and pure means that you don't have any, any hidden sin, that nobody can bring a charge against you because you've brought everything into the light. That's what he's talking about here. You're living a life of integrity. So when you do mess up, you don't hide it away and never talk about it. You, you bring it up and you own it. You apologize, you repent, you make amends, and you restore what's been broken. That's what it means to live a, a pure and blameless life. It's a life of integrity. And he, he kind of hammers the same thing again when he says that we are to be children of God who are faultless. That word faultless means the same thing. That's who we're to be. That's what our lives are to look like. We're to be pure and blameless and faultless children of God. So we're to live this way. Why? Why do we live this way? Because we live in a a crooked and perverted generation is what Paul says here. What he's doing is here, he's he's bringing up the point and he's he's, he's shining a light on, on what kind of world we live in, right? This world apart from Jesus is covered in sin, right? This is what happens in Genesis 3. When sin enters the world, it corrupts everything, not just people. It corrupts every aspect of God's creation. This world is, is covered and shrouded with sin. It is filled with the darkness and brokenness of sin and evil, and it just invades every part of this world and society. And Paul's saying, look, that's where you live. That's where you live. That's where God has you, and you're to be faultless and blameless and pure in that place. And look, we've got two choices to how to respond. We talk about this a lot. We've got two choices on how to respond to that, to living in a, in a sinful and broken world that the Lord has us in. 
And we can say, okay, well, in order to live as a child of God and be faultless and pure, then i got to get out of here. i got to run away from the world, and I've got to insulate myself in this kind of Christian bubble. We could respond that way. Sometimes we choose to respond that way. That's not what Paul says. That's not what Jesus wants for us. He has us here. He has you where you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. He has us living in this cultural moment in America in 2023, in Newton County or Rockdale or wherever you find yourself. He has us here for a reason, and it is not to run away from the dark, crooked, perverted world. It is to step boldly into that world and shine like stars. To bring the light and the hope and the love of Jesus to this generation, to this world. That's why he has us here. And look, when we step into the darkness with the light, man, light stands out, doesn't it? You walk into a dark room and you flip the light on or you have a flashlight, it stands out, right? It stands out. That's what our lives should be. Our lives should, look, it should stand out. Our lives should look different than the world around us. It should. We should stand out a little bit, right? The way, the way we love and treat our spouse should be different than the world around us. The way we parent and treat and respond to our children should be different than the world around us. The way we act at work or treat our bosses or our coworkers should be different. The way we treat and serve our neighbors should be different. The way we respond to the person who cuts us off on the way home, right? It should be different than the world around us. Again, this goes back to the do everything. Every aspect of our lives should be lived out for Jesus, and that should make us stand out, right? Like the, the people in our lives that are around us that don't know Jesus, our neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, whoever it is, they should be like, man, that Travis, he's a little weird, right? He's a little odd. There's something off with him. I don't know what it is. Seems to love me. Seems to really care about what's going on. Seems to be, a, you know, a good, decent person, generous, kind, loving, loves his spouse, loves his wife. But like, something off with him. What's up with that? Like, we should stand out, right? We should be a little weird, right? We should be a little different. That's the point that Paul is saying here. We're to shine like stars. To use the language that we use a lot around here, we are to display the gospel with our lives. We are to display the love of Jesus with our lives. The way we interact with people, the way we live should match Jesus, should look like Jesus. So when Paul says we're to shine like stars, that's what he's talking about. You are to boldly shine the light of Jesus in this dark world. I mean, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is what it means to shine like stars. We live our lives in such a way where we are displaying Jesus. We're displaying the gospel to those around us. They're seeing how we live. And, and, and you know, hopefully the, the hope is that they would then turn to give glory to God, right? That's the hope. That, that's why we do this. And again, remember the context. This is, this is the church. Again, we don't do this just as individuals. We do this as individuals, right? Wherever God has you, it's different than where he has me. But we as individuals shine our light where he has us. And then we, together as the church, we do this together, right? We are not alone in this. We accomplish the work of the gospel, the mission of God, together with each other in this community. That's what God has for us. That's what he's called us to do. We shine the light. All right. Number three, number three, so we, we are to shine like stars. Number three, we are to speak 
the word. We're to speak the word. Let's continue on here in verse 16. So he tells us that we are to shine like stars and we're to display the gospel and, and the life of Jesus to those around us. And he says, by holding firm to the word of life. So by or through or, or here's how you do that. Here's how you shine like stars. You, you hold firmly. You hold firm to the word of life. Now that, that, that phrase holding firm kind of carries with it two connotations. All right, so let's, let's talk about both of those because I think they're both relevant here. One, the hold firm means to just, it means that. It means to hold tight. It means to hold on really tight and don't let go for any reason. And I think that's exactly what we're as believers supposed to do with the word of life, scripture, the Bible. We are to hold tightly to that. Our lives are to hold tightly to that. We talk about this all the time. The Bible is a big deal. That's why we spend a lot of time preaching. It's not like I just love talking, right? I just, I don't. That's not who I am. If anybody knows, like, I'm, I'm not just babbling on 24-7. I'm not that high of an extrovert. That's not who I am. I don't get up here just to hear my own voice. We, we, we talk about this. We spend time on Sunday. We walk slowly through books of the Bible, going verse by verse, digging deep, because this stuff matters. It's important. It's a big deal. The Bible is how God reveals himself to us. It's how he calls us to live for him. This matters, and we need to hold tightly to it, and we need to dig into it and read it and study it and apply it to our lives, and it's through that that Jesus leads us to live for him, leads us to become more like him. So we hold tightly to the Bible, and the other way this this word works is, is not just holding firm, but also holding out, holding out. I think this gets a lot of, of what Paul is talking about here because he just said we're to shine like stars to this sinful and broken generation. And how we do that is by holding out the word of life. We hold out the truth of Jesus because this is where life is found. The gospel is where true life and freedom and forgiveness and satisfaction and fulfillment, not only in this life, but for all of eternity, it's found here. It's found here. It's found in the message of Jesus. And I love that Paul calls this the word of life because that's exactly what it is. That's kind of a, a unique phrase. Paul doesn't typically refer to the Bible as the word of life, but he's doing so here for a very specific reason, saying when we hold out the gospel, we are holding out true life. We're, we're, we're casting out a life raft to people that are drowning in this broken and sinful world. This is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope of life and salvation. The Bible makes that clear. The Bible tells us clearly that, that apart from Jesus, we are lost in our sins. We are covered in our sins, and it leads us away from God. And because of that, we stand condemned before God. Our sins condemn us to death, is what the Bible says. And because of our sins, because of our willingness to reject the ways of Jesus, what we have earned for ourselves, what we deserve, is death, is hell, separation from God for all of eternity. Without Jesus, that's where we stand. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus rescues us from that and brings us to life. Right? The Bible constantly uses that phrase when he talks about salvation. He says that we are made alive in Jesus. We are brought from being dead in our trespasses to alive with Christ. That's salvation. That comes through faith in him, and he saves us, and he rescues us, and he forgives us of our sin, and we don't have any more condemnation, right? We're no longer condemned. We are completely forgiven. All sins, past, present, future, all forgiven by Jesus. That's the path of life. 
And that's what we're to hold out to this world around us. We hold out the message of Jesus, the message of life. So what Paul's telling us here is not only do we display the gospel, again, this is the language you use around here a lot, not only do we display the gospel, we are to declare the gospel. We are to use our words to point people to Jesus. Right? So here's how this is supposed to work. When, when we're building relationships with those in our lives because we love people and God calls us to do that, and we invest in the people around us, again, whether it's your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever it is, we are constantly looking for opportunities to love and care for the people that God has placed us around. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian, right? So, so we do that, and we display the gospel, and we live our lives a certain way, and then, and then eventually there's going to be an opportunity where somebody kind of points that out or asks the question like, hey, wh- why, why, why would you do that? Why would you help me out with that? Why would you, you know, why are you so nice when everybody else is kind of like, why do you have joy when everybody else is kind of just miserable in life? Like, why, how do you have the marriage that you have? Or like, you know, why are you, again, so like, we'll use this example. Like, why, why are you so unselfish, right? Maybe you'll hear that. I mean, why are you so unselfish? The temptation is to respond, well, that's just the way my mama raised me. You know, that's just, you know, that's just how I am. You know, just, you know, I'm just trying my best over here. I'm just doing what I can do. It is what it is. You know, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. The temptation is to respond that way. That's not really true. That's not true, because look, apart from Christ, in case you didn't know this, the only reason that we can be unselfish in this life is because of Jesus. We are selfish people, right? And even with the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can still be really selfish, all right? I won't make you raise your hands, but that is all of us, okay? We can all tend towards that. So the correct answer when somebody says something like that is to go, man, it's only by Jesus. It is only because of Jesus. It's only because of him saving me. It's only because of me uh, seeing his goodness and grace and devoting my life to him. That's the only hope I have. It is all because of Jesus. So not only do we display the gospel, we declare the gospel. We use our words to call people to Jesus. Paul says this in, in Romans 10, 14 through 7. He says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. People have to hear about Jesus. It's not enough for us to display the gospel. We have to declare the gospel, church. And again, we do this together as the body of believers. So the hope is, the way this should work, is like you throughout the week are building relationships with those people in your life, and you're talking about Jesus, and then you're also encouraging them to come here. So I can talk to them about Jesus, and other people in the church can talk to them about Jesus and point them to Jesus, and like that's, that's the picture that the Lord gives for the church. That's how the church is supposed to function. We are displaying and declaring the gospel throughout the week, and especially on Sunday mornings. That's what we're called to do. All right, number four, number four next thing Paul says is we are to serve one another. We're to serve one another. Let's look at verses 16 through 17. We are to serve one another. He says this, so by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing or in vain, some of your translations might say. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So Paul refers to his ministry here as a sacrificial service to their faith. 
And I love that he refers to that man like that. And that's exactly what Paul does. And that's exactly who Paul is, right? When we look at Paul's life and we study his letters and we study who he is and what he's been doing, it's a perfect picture of, of how you are to live in service to one another. It's like giving your lives for the gospel and the service of people around you. Like Paul does that and lives that out. And Paul just spent verses 6 through 11 telling us that that's what Jesus did too, right? When Jesus leaves the glory and the riches of heaven, what does he do? He comes here to live as a servant, to serve us by giving his life on the cross. So Paul lives this out. Jesus lives it out. And what Paul is saying here to the Philippians is, is this is how y'all are to live too. Our lives should be marked with sacrificial service to God and one another. We're to serve one another. We're to do it within the church. Again, that's the context, right? We are to serve within the church. So if you're here and you're not currently serving, I would love to invite you to serve. And we've got no shortage of needs here. We always need more volunteers and kids. We always need more help setting up and tearing down and all of those things. Like this is, this is what the church is supposed to do. This is part of how the church is to function is by serving one another, right? When we talk about stewardship of giving of our time, talent, and, and treasure, one of the primary places we do that is within the local church within the local church. So if we are not serving one another inside the church, we're missing out on a key part of our discipleship. Again, these are all implications of following in obedience to Jesus, of living for Jesus. So we are to serve one another in the church, and we're also to serve one another outside the church, right? Serving is not just something we do on Sundays. It's not just something we do at, at church events, right? Our lives should be marked with service. We should constantly be working and looking for opportunities to serve other people to care for one another, to love those around us, right? There's no shortage of opportunities as we get to know people, as we build relationships. We will find the Lord will drop opportunities in our lap for us to respond to in sacrificial service. Like, that's awesome. Like, that is an incredible part. That shouldn't be looked at as a burden. Like, oh, man, I got to rearrange my schedule. I got to help this person. No, like, that's awesome. We should step into that with joy because that's what God has called us to. That's, That's an awesome opportunity. So we, we are to live in sacrificial service to others. And look, that, that all comes from love, right? The motivation for service is love. This is why when Jesus says in Luke 10 that we're to love God with everything and we're to love our neighbor as ourself, and that person says, oh, okay, what does is, what is loving our neighbor look like? He tells the story of the parable of the Samaritan. And what's the point of that parable? It's the Samaritan sacrificially serves this stranger who was left for dead. Didn't know him, had no idea what was going on. This guy's hurting, left for dead. And this Samaritan, random person, comes up and is like, no, man, I gotta, I gotta care for this person. So at the end of the parable, Jesus is like, hey, what are you supposed to do? Be like the Samaritan. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to live. So how do we live in sacrificial service? It all stems and comes from love. And you can see that with, with, with Paul and the Philippians here. We've already talked about this several times, that Paul deeply loves and cares about the Philippians. And this idea of sacrificial service, it, it's all connected to his love for them. I mean, he loves them so much that you see here in verse 16 that he ties his ministry success, his life's devotion to their success in ministry. He says that in verse 16, jump back to there, then I can boast in the day of Christ, that that day that he stands before Jesus, he can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. So what he's saying here is is Philippians, man, if if you do this, if you live this way, if you're walking in obedience to Jesus, if you're walking in humility, if you're walking in service to others, then, man, I know that my devotion to Jesus and my service to you has not been for nothing. Right? Like, he's wrapping up his ministry success with the success of the Philippians following Jesus. Like, that's how deeply he cares about these people. 
That's how deeply he loves and cares for them. And he says that, that his, his boast or his glory, meaning that what, what will cause him to rejoice all the more in the name of Christ, is to see the Philippians living the way that he's calling them to right here in this passage. And that's how we should look at others too. We should look at others with the love of Jesus and, and the, the service of Jesus. So we are to serve one another. And then number five, and we'll, uh, we'll end here for the day. Number five, the last thing, is we are to share the joy. Share the joy. Look at verses 17 through 18. We are to share the joy. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, if you've been following along here, you know this is not the first time that Paul has referenced his joy and referenced rejoicing in the Lord. This is one of the key themes of the book of Philippians, that we can have joy in Christ no matter what's going on, right? Because we need to remember the context. What's the context of Philippians? Paul is sitting in prison. He's arrested and he's been in prison for years for no reason. Completely innocent of all the charges against him, but he's still in prison. And now he's in Rome awaiting his trial before Caesar, the most powerful person in the world. And if he's having a bad day or doesn't like what Paul says when he has his trial, he could snap his fingers and boom, Paul's dead. Just like that. That's Paul's fate. That's where he's sitting right now in his life. And what's he saying? That he has joy? That he can rejoice? And it's like, what? How can you rejoice in that type of environment, in that setting, when, when supposedly, and looking from it from the outside in, like everything in your life has gone wrong? Like you set out your life to give to the people the gospel and to, to live in service of other people, and it's landed you in prison for no reason. And you can rejoice in that? What? What's going on? That, that's crazy, right? But that's the joy in the Lord. We can have joy in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. Too often we let our circumstances dictate our joy. That's not how the Bible pictures it. That's not what the Bible calls us to here. So Paul says that he is rejoicing, and then he invites the Philippians to rejoice as well. He says here at the end, in verse 18, he says, In the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. That's written as a command. He is commanding them to rejoice and have joy. And church, this, this reminds us, that we are to be joyful people. If we claim to follow Jesus, if we have put our faith in him, we should be filled with joy. And right here what we're being told is that joy is a choice. It's a choice that we make. It's not something that is dependent or dictated by our circumstances or what's going on in our lives. It is a choice that we make no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstances. It's a choice to see Jesus and his work and his love and his grace and his power and his control over our lives. It's a choice to see that instead of our circumstances, instead of the world around us, instead of what may or may not be working out in our lives at that current moment. It's a choice to see Jesus and be reminded that he is in control of all things and he is always at work in our lives. That's how we choose joy. Because look, as believers, as believers, we, we always have Christ. Like, no matter what is going on in our lives, we always have Jesus. We have his grace. We have his forgiveness. We have his freedom. We have his fulfillment and satisfaction. We have his perfection. We have, 
we have all of these things promised to us in Jesus at all times. So no matter what may be going on in our lives, what may be working or not working, the disappointments, the frustrations that, that we all go through in life, no matter what that is, we still have Jesus. And because of that, we can have joy. So believer in the room, we need to ask ourselves, is my life filled with joy right now? Am I filled with joy? Or am I filled with, with pride? Am I filled with anger? Disappointment? Discontentment? Frustration? Am I filled with, with shame and guilt? Am I filled with that, that critical spirit, that grumbling and that arguing that Paul has already talked about? What am I filled with? Because we are to be filled with joy. And then we're to share that joy with those around us, right? If we're truly filled with the joy and the love of Jesus, that should spill out into our lives. That should affect those around us. We are to share joy, right? People should see and feel the joy of Jesus in our lives. They should see that we have joy no matter the circumstance. And look, that's not a, that's not a just a, a brushing aside and being like, uh, just pretending that everything's okay. No, there's a realism here. There's a realism in going, acknowledging, yes, this is difficult. This is hard. This is not what I wanted my life to look like. This is not how I thought things were going to go. But, but man, Jesus is still good. His salvation is still true. I can still have joy that's what we're talking about here. So we need to be people filled with joy, and that needs to spill out in other people. That we need to be uplifting and encouraging people, church. That's who we're supposed to be in Jesus. Y'all ever been around somebody who's just like always encouraging? I'm, I wish I was more like that. Like I just somebody that is just always encouraging, and it's almost sometimes where it's like I'm a little like, why are you always so happy? Why are you always like, no, dude, can you just be in a bad mood one day? Like, that's kind of what I want sometimes. But then also, like, I know that really what I'm doing is I'm acting out, and I'm, I'm jealous, and I'm envious of their attitude, right? Like, that's the kind of people that we should be like. And man, when we are that, you really can uplift somebody. And this is why we need the church, y'all. This is why we need the church, because there are weeks that are hard. Circumstances in our lives can be difficult. There can be things that, that don't work out, and we will all walk through hardship and pain and difficulty, and we can have some down weeks, y'all. But I don't know about you, if you've, if you've felt this like I have sometimes, where I'm having a rough week, man, there, there are times where a text message from a friend comes, or a phone call, and it's just an encouraging word. Or it's just a simple, hey, I was thinking about you, praying for you, not sure what's going on, but love you, here for you if you need anything. Like just a simple message like that can just all of a sudden lift you up, right? Can all of a sudden remind you that you're not alone, that you're not walking through this by yourself, that you have people who truly love and care about you. Like, y'all, let's be that person. Let's be that person that sends that message, that makes that phone call to encourage and uplift those around us. This is what it means to share joy, that we should rejoice and be joyful and share that with the world around us. So believer in the room, we, as we wrap this up, believer in the room, this is, this is what Paul invites us to. This is the life that, that, he, that he calls us to. It's a life lived out to work out our own salvation, right? To live in obedience to Jesus, to rely on the work of God in our lives, his power to change our heart and to change our lives, to make us more like Jesus. It's a life lived out without grumbling and arguing bringing the light and the hope of Jesus into this dark world, serving others, 
holding out the word of life to those in our lives, sharing the joy of Jesus. Like this is who we're supposed to be. This is what our lives are to look like. And Paul's call here and my call for us today as believers here in 2023 in the church of Haynes Creek, let's be these kind of people. Let's be this kind of church. And if you're here and, and maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you've never done that before, let me do what Paul says and, and hold out the word of life for you today and just, just remind you of what the gospel says. The gospel tells us and reminds us that, yes, we are more sinful than we could ever believe or care to admit about ourselves. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved than we could ever hope to imagine by God. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. He made the sacrifice on our behalf so that we could have forgiveness and life. And the big secret to that, the way you do that, is by faith. It's by faith. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's a, it, it's a saying that, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I want to put my faith and trust in you. I'm not trusting in myself for my salvation. I'm not trusting that, you know, at the end of my life, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. That, that's a bad plan, y'all. That's a bad plan. Not going to work out. Jesus is our only hope. So if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I, let, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you, you stop living for the brokenness of this world. I'm just telling you, if y'all live for this world, it'll satisfy for a little bit. It'll be, it'll be good for a little bit, but it will always lead to pain. It will always lead to brokenness and destruction and death. Jesus is our only hope. He's the only hope we have for fulfillment and satisfaction here, for joy here and for all of eternity. Put your faith in him. If you're here and you want to do that today, I'll, I'll be hanging out in the back. I'd love to talk to you about that. If, if you're here and you know somebody else and you're like, I feel more comfortable talking to this person, please do that. Anybody here would love to talk with you about that. So church, we're going to do what we do every single week. I'm going to pray. We're going to conclude our time together with a time of communion and worship. And again, we do this every single week. And this is a time for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus to have a moment in worship to him in remembrance of who he is and what he's done. And so believer in the room, my, my challenge to you is, is spend some time in prayer. Spend some time preparing your heart. And then as you are ready, we go to the tables on either side. We take the bread and the cup, we eat and we drink and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And let me just say this because this passage and really this whole section of Philippians is so connected to how we treat one another inside and outside the church. If, if there is a moment that you're realizing, man, I have been, I've been gossiping. I have been complaining or murmuring to somebody or about somebody. I need to go apologize. What Jesus tells us is that we leave the sacrifice at the altar and we go and deal with that. So my challenge to you, if, that, if that's you, feel like, man, I know I need to go talk to this person. You don't need to pray. You don't need to get communion yet. Go and talk to that person. Repent, apologize, restore the relationship. This is what Jesus has called us to. So church, as you're ready, we take the cup, we take the bread, we eat, we drink, and we worship our good God and Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for your grace and your love and your mercy in our lives. Lord, I thank you for, for saving us. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you left heaven and you came to earth to rescue us. 
And Lord, I, I love the fact that, that you don't only save us, you don't always call us to a new and better way, Lord. You, you give us the support to do it. You give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. You are, you are constantly at work in and through our lives, and you give us the gift of the church, the gift of one another to walk with you, to, to do this together with one another, Lord. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for the blessing that is the church, Lord. So we love you. We lift high your name today, Jesus. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. It's your name we pray. Amen.